Welcome to Relaunch, the real estate podcast focused on helping you find your success in real estate. My name is Lauren Cooper. I am an active real estate sales representative just north of Toronto, Canada. The whole purpose of this podcast is to bring you actionable content by interviewing the best of the best in this business, helping to take you from zero to hero in your real estate career. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Relaunch Podcast. That is the Real Estate Launch Podcast. My name is Lauren Cooper, and today we are joined by Melanie Pichet. Hello, Melanie. How are you? Hello, I'm good, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for coming and making the time. Uh, full disclosure for everybody, I've known Mel for how many years now? About six or seven years since I got into the business, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm a big fan of Mel, and I am going to give her a hard time just because of that. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I perfect. Look forward to it. <laughs> All right. So uh, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, where your business is at right now? You guys have gone through some changes, so exciting times. Go for it. So uh, I run the Brawl team along with my husband, Brendan, who you also know. Um, we've been a team for about seven years. I've been in the business for about 10, and like one month ago, we actually launched a brokerage. Uh, so now we are a team brokerage and that everybody at our brokerage works for our team. Okay, so great. And what made you decide to go from team within a brokerage to your own brokerage? I mean, it's it's every team leader's dilemma, I think. We probably spent two years thinking about what the right move was. I mean, we've operated very much as a brokerage internally. So we always had a lot of policies. I mean, we're a team of 14 people. We have our own staff. We have our own office. We have our own brand that we spent a lot of time building. We loved the brokerage that we were with. Um, so it wasn't that we weren't getting something there. It just felt like the right next step for us was just to go off and, and do the brokerage thing. Yeah, very interesting. All right, so let's go back in time to when you first started in real estate or just before. What was your background before real estate? So education-wise, I'm a BCom um, in HR and marketing. So I very naturally became the HR director at an ad agency for 12 years. Uh, so I actually got to use my majors, which was nice. And I did that for a long time and kind of felt I'd gone as far as I wanted to go in that. And then I met this cute boy who turns out to be Brendan. And we go traveling for a year. I get my license for fun. Um, and I never actually planned on being in real estate. And during that year away, I actually got sick. And I had surgery. I got sick in Turkey. And I had surgery in Greece. The insurance company sent me home. And I was still technically on sabbatical of my old job. So I was like, eh, I'll start this real estate thing. Um, and that was 2008. I listed my first condo the day that the Lehman Brothers went <laughs> the market crashed. So that was an awesome introduction, but I kind of loved it right away. So I thought, you know what, why don't, I mean, obviously we kind of went in that six month recession. I thought, I'll just keep with this real estate thing, see what happens. And I don't really know how I got to this point, to be honest, like this was never the plan. I kind of fell into it and fell in love with that and, and found I was pretty good at it. And a lot of my old skills were really useful and I had a chance to learn a bunch of new skills I, I never even knew I could learn before. So that was kind of fun. And who got their license first? You or Brendan? I got my license first, and he joined me about six months after I started. Okay. Because I only own how, how like condos and townhouses. I hate driving in the city. He was an old house guy. He's super great with people. So we thought, you know what? This could work really well together. I felt intimidated in houses, um, and it was a good match. I mean, we're you know us. We're complete opposites. 
which is both the you know the very best and the very worst thing. <laughs> but it meant for building a business that was really good because we did together. We were both kind of hitting a lot of the different things that agents need to be successful. So we didn't touch on this, but let everybody know where it is that you actually work. Oh yeah, that would be helpful. So we are in Central Toronto. We have ten agents. Uh, two people, uh, full-time people in staging. So we have our own staging warehouse and staging business. And then we have one person in admin and we're recruiting right now for a marketing coordinator. So we operate kind of in a pretty big part of central Toronto. Okay. Now let's jump back into the story. So you guys, uh, you were on sabbatical. Brendan's background is travel industry, right? Yeah. Uh, you guys are getting in. You explain sort of your your strengths and weaknesses, sort of bouncing off each other. Now, how did it start? What did you start doing when you obviously you joined a brokerage, and then what to get business? I mean, honestly, I was in HR, so I knew a lot of people. So my first year was actually amazing because I knew all sorts of people, and I'm like, this is the easiest business in the world. And then you're two hit. <laughs> and I think there's probably was probably still paying off the credit line from year two um, because suddenly all of those people weren't there and the people I thought would buy houses for me weren't buying houses for me and I didn't have any plan at all and we moved to a bigger brokerage uh, which was a really good move for us we moved to Bosley and they are an amazing training ground uh, so we learned a lot of things but we weren't really into very traditional ways of building business so in 2000 and 11, I guess. We had a really bad year between the two of us. We sold 11 properties. Um, and we went back to our old jobs for the summer. Not a lot of people know that. Um, I went back and consulted at my old company. Brennan took on some travel stuff. And, and we realized that we don't have a safety net anymore because we both hated what we went back to do. Mm-hmm. And for us, that was the big wake up call. Cause I think we were pretty comfy and like, Hey, it's really easy. Hey, this is really hard, but I can always go back to my old job. And then suddenly it was like, Oh, Oh, I actually have to figure out how to make this work. And we weren't into door knocking and cold calling. And I remember we sent out 10,000 postcards one month and we forgot to put our website on it. So I had Aww. to put this on 10,000 postcards. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's the last time I'm ever sending postcards out. So we had to figure something out. And I mean, we've always had a pretty good network of people. So, you know, we had we had some base sales happening, but we decided we wanted to figure out this whole game digitally. And we were gonna take our business online. And I had gone to like a networking reception and I've been standing in line for a drink and this guy's like, hey, I can get you on the first page of Google. And I'm like, what? That's amazing. I'm so naive. This is not even that many years ago. So I pay him lots of money for six months and you know the end of the story, right? Nothing happens because it was Google ads to a website I had made myself on Costco, Um, the Costco wizard website. I don't know if it's still amazing. (laughs) Uh, So that was not productive. I was like, okay, so maybe I actually have to learn how to do this. So then I started going to a lot of conferences and I went to, uh, and I know exactly it was seven years ago because it was Brennan's 40th birthday. And we went to our first Inman Connect conference in New York and we had this whole fancy like birthday weekend planned at the Thompson Hotel. And our minds were completely blown by what could be done. And I think in 2011, you know, the realtors who were still in the business in the U.S. were hustling and they figured out something really good. Because at this point, they're three years into that terrible recession. Whereas Canadians are just kind of ticking along, not having to do a lot of innovative stuff. So we, our minds were completely blown. And we checked into the Thompson and we never checked out. We ordered room service for every meal and all we did was plan our business. 
Um, we planned the website, we planned everything. And then honestly, our business today is very close to what we planned that weekend seven years ago. Wow, that's amazing. So what is it that you were introduced to that blew your minds? What was so different at that time? I mean, I think it was the idea that people didn't, that, that they could do things differently and you didn't have to do the door knocking, the cold calling and the postcards. I think our business is guilty of, of all just imitating each other. And oh, that agent put their picture on their business card. So then I better put my picture on my business card. And then suddenly that becomes a thing. And I mean, so much are, you know, uh, the free home evaluation or that, like, I mean, everybody just does the same stuff. And we went there and we just saw things that were being done differently. And we saw people were being really authentic and they were who they were. And that was something we didn't really see a lot of in Toronto. I don't really remember it happening back then. Certainly now it is. And it kind of was a permission to kind of go out and be ourselves. And we needed to hear that. So then I was like, okay, let's actually take this website thing seriously. So then I started taking online courses on SEO and social conversion and email marketing and all of that good stuff. And, and then when I take something on, I'm, I go in pretty deep. Um, sometimes I don't take anything on and do nothing, but like if I'm taking it on, I'm pretty committed. So we, I got really serious and probably only took me three or four months before I started getting clients from it from the blog and the website, which was really encouraging. So at the time I was blogging probably four times a week. Uh, so it was a big commitment, um, but I didn't have that many clients. So, you know, I had time <laughs> on my hands. Um, and, and it kind of took off. And honestly, the, the whole website, I mean, 80% of our business today is generated from our, our website and our social media stuff. Um, and that's the whole reason we have a team. Like there are, we never really intended on doing a team, but suddenly we had, more clients than we could work with, which was a nice problem to have. And then I was like, okay, let's build a team. Well, then we had to figure out how to run a team. So there's a whole you know, second podcast in that. Um, but I mean, it, it just, it worked for us and it was something we enjoyed doing and I loved learning something new and I could be myself and, and people were responding to a different message than kind of the usual stuff that real estate agents have out there. So you started your blog, you said about three or four months in, you started to get some leads from that. Um, in the meantime, you were just working off of kind of sphere people coming to you. They knew you were in the business. Credit line. Yeah, <laughs> of course we've all been. Yeah. Um, all right. So do you think that somebody coming in today would have that same sort of success timeline? I mean, obviously it, it depends on your market and who's out there, but I, I would think it's a little bit different today with the competition and the awareness of that option. I think it's completely different than it was seven years ago, but I still think there's a huge opportunity there. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're all suffering from content overload, video overload. I mean, there's so much content for people to consume now that if you want it to work, it's got to be really, really good. And it's got to be something that nobody else is saying. And I think we all have that in us. Like, I think everybody should be able to either blog, video or podcast. Like everybody can either talk, look good on camera or be able to have an interview and be interesting on a podcast. Uh, but you have to do something that other people aren't doing because otherwise it's going to get lost. So I think the days of the, you know, 10 ways to make the outside of your house look good. Um, I think the day of those podcasts, of uh, those blogs are over because it's just, there's too many of them out there and nobody cares. So it's got to be something that's really unique. That's a different, that's very, uh, that's an opinion or it's funny. There's got to be a, the pressure is definitely on now compared to us seven years ago. I feel a lot more pressure. Do you feel that you attracted a certain type of client through your voice and your, your, I was going to say podcast, but your blog? I know. I keep wanting to say podcast too. <laughs> um, yeah. So we, then that was by design. 
So we, I mean, a lot of agents, you know, target a farm area or geography. We target a specific demographic. So we have a really good sense of the people that we want to work with, where they're hanging out, how they speak, the words that they re that resonate with them, whether on Instagram or Facebook and what they're doing on there. So we've gone really after very specific demographics. So like our past client program is called Friends with Benefits. Um, we're doing a cannabis cooking class with our clients. Um, we have a really good sense of who our clients are so that when we're writing, we're writing to a very specific audience. Has so it always been that way? In the early days, I was probably just answering questions that people ask. So, you know, can I back out of a deal and what's a deposit? And those are still really important blogs to write because people are Googling for those questions. Um, and if you're the best answer, then obviously, you know, it's an opportunity to connect with somebody. So, but it's certainly changed over the time, over time. So I have a question for you regarding that. Let's dig into the content thing since we're already on the topic. So if back in the day you were writing, you know, can I back out of a deposit or can I back out of a deal? Do you then try to geolocate that to your specific city and say, tell a story about someone in Toronto that was doing that? Or are you not regarding that at all and just talking about the content and the topic? Uh, usually I'm just doing topic. Um, I'll put the word Toronto in there if I'm trying to rank for Toronto. And um, we have a pretty big referral business outside of the city because our, our website brings in people all, all across Canada, um, which is a, a nice piece of our business, to be honest. So we will do like for, I mean, I just wrote today, um, how to move up the property ladder in Toronto. It's very specific to Toronto. And, you know, people in small communities in the rest of Ontario will look at those numbers and be like, my God, what is this? <laughs> Well, some of them are very specific to Toronto, but a lot of them work for uh, for a lot of people. Um, and that's part of my strategy, too, is to try to get the, on that first page of Google. And the more people I've got clicking and the more people that have finding my content valuable, then the more times I'm going to show up in Toronto searches. Okay, so let's take a few steps back because I, I know Brendan was sort of a travel blogger or writer before, right? Uh, but you've kind of taken over the role for real estate writing and he's out there. How did that happen? Did that form in that hotel room? Um, you know what? I mean, Brendan is an amazing writer, but he's almost too amazing. So he's a perfectionist. So he would take probably six or seven hours to write a blog and I'll take between one and two hours. And his will sound perfect and professional and mine will sound exactly like me talking to you right now. Um, and I think people have responded to that very conversational nature of my blogging. Um, it means it's hard to move it on to other people and share it because now it's a very specific voice. I didn't plan that out very well. Um, but it, it worked well that way. I mean, he would certainly write a better blog than me and he's an excellent writer. But I don't think you need to be an excellent writer to get results from a blog. And I think that's important for everybody to know. I mean, you, you have to be good at grammar and spelling or install Grammarly on your computer because uh, Google won't forgive grammar mistakes. But you don't need to be the world's best writer. That's the thing that's holding a lot of people back. I know sure. my, myself included. When I speak, I generally don't have a problem conveying my message. But when I'm putting it down on paper, you overthink it so much and it gets all garbled and... Then yeah. you're like, oh, now what? <laughs> well, but that's why I think everybody's good at one thing, right? I mean, obviously you're great at podcasting, so get. Well, that the listeners will tell topic. me if if uh, that's the case or not. <laughs> I think you are. Uh, I don't know. I know people who don't want to write or don't want to podcast, but are great on video. And I think every one of us can do one of the three. Yeah, I really do. And it takes a commitment and consistency because you can't just start it and three months in forget about it. 
Like I'll always tell people, because people come to me a lot for advice on starting a blog. And I'm like, you know what? You need to write at least 25 of them before you launch it. Because if you can't get to 25, you're never going to keep it up. And most people then, you know, some of them do it and they get results from it. But there's nothing worse than the blog that has 10 entries. And the last one was from 2014. Yeah, Terrible. that's mine, except it's 2018, but yeah. <laughs> well, 2018 is fine though, right? It's the ones that are really, really from a long time ago where people are like, oh, I wonder if they're still in the business and then they move on. Right, exactly. So I think you go in, you've got to go in all the way. And I have a list. I mean, I probably have 300 topics on my list um, to write and I've written probably 900 blogs. Um, but there's always, I mean, you just in the course of a day, you'll think of something and then I just keep it on my list. So I'm never lost for content ideas. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people get stuck there because well, I don't know what to write about. So even if just, you know, starting to jot down, I just use a Trello board. I've got, you know, buyers, sellers and my rants and my rants are popular. My favorite thing to write. <laughs> that's the personality coming out. That is. That's my, I've got a blog coming out next week that's called, Can You Trust Your Realtor? Oh, <laughs> I'm sure that'll turn some heads. <laughs> yeah, it'll turn some heads. So, I mean, a lot of our, our my message is trying to, to reveal the, and be transparent and lift the curtain on the industry and show kind of what things really mean. And I think that's building trust with buyers and sellers. And it's saying something that everybody else isn't saying. Mm -hmm. That's partly why it resonates. Definitely. All right, so let's jump back into the roles. So at that point, you're taking on the role of blog writer, copywriter, um, content creator. Now, what you're still showing clients' properties, still selling yeah. at that time? Yeah, we were doing, I mean, we did everything together for a long time. And then as I would start spending more time on the marketing stuff, he took on more clients. I stopped dealing with clients. I mean, I'll still have some buyers and sellers that are past clients, but generally I don't see clients anymore. Brendan still does. Uh, and he loves it. I mean, that's a big part of it too, is figuring what you love. I mean, the tour guide in him still loves showing buyers around the city. Like he just, he adores it. Mm -hmm. um, so part of our roles were built on, on what we love to do. And then we tried to hire for the things that neither of us had the skills for like staging um, or an interest in like the admin side of it um, and found people who were just better at it than us. And that's helped us kind of develop our roles. Our roles have changed a lot over the years. Um, it's hard when you work with your spouse. And the more defined those roles are, the better. Um, for a long time, we were kind of on top of each other. And now it's pretty clearly defined. As a brokerage, he's actually our broker of record and the president, which, you know, kills me a little bit. <laughs> me a little bit. Um, but you know what? I mean, he's 100% he's the best suited to be a broker of record. I mean, he loves like FinTrack and all those super boring things. Like, he loves all of that. So, Perfect. I know it's it's a great mix. And then I spend my time on the marketing side, and I do, and obviously a lot of time with our agents, and doing a lot of coaching and mentoring and training of our agents. Right. So we're definitely going to get into that part of it. Um, before we get there, though, so give me a timeline. So you're three or four months in. You start developing this uh, following online. People are reaching out to you. And you're like, oh, wow, this is actually working. My voice is being heard. So yeah. the rest of that year, how did that really play out? I mean, that was our that was our first good year, like where I was like, oh, I, we're onto something here. And that would have been 2012. And I think 2013 is the year we decided to bring in an agent, um, a buyer's agent. I mean, we screwed up the team thing a number of times. We didn't know what we were doing. Um, we, we had some great people, but we didn't really know how to build a culture and how to make the systems work. Um, our blog was never about us personally. So 
you know, was never named after us. We never had the issue of people wanting to work with us. I would say once a year, somebody requests to work with us. Okay. And last year we helped almost 300 people. So it's never been about us. Um, and that was more accidental than anything, but it allowed us to bring in agents and kind of realize that if we wanted to make it work, that experience that we were talking about online had to be replicated by the people on our team. So you brought on a buyer's agent before you brought on an admin? I did. Okay. I wish I had done it the other way around, um, but it's scary taking on a salary. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> people all the time and they're having the same thing. And I'm like, well, I know the right thing to do is to bring in an admin, but I also know how terrifying it is to take on a salary. Um, and it's scary because right at the time when you need that admin is when your income is just starting to go up and you're excited, but you're like, oh my God, what if this ends? Right? Like, that's a big part of it. It's just like, what if this doesn't? And then I have to, like, now I've messed around with somebody else's life and I've got to let them go. And so it is scary. Um, and yet, if we had brought in an admin earlier, I think our business would have been able to grow faster because we wouldn't have been spending time doing all of the things that we were doing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely overwhelming for somebody looking at that. You're thinking, every month I started zero, every year I started zero. So how am I going to? carry that other person in their life, like you said. So uh, you yeah. said it's an investment and I've heard it again and again that it's an investment that's well worth it. That's usually uh, helped to double or triple people's businesses to have that support sure. role. For sure. Okay. It's just getting past that and taking that risk. That's the scary part. I mean, I think now, which wasn't really the case seven years ago, I mean, virtual assistants, there's a lot of ways that people can get help and dip their toes into that without having to make that big commitment. Mm -hmm. Good point. That can make a big difference. That wasn't, I mean, if that was a thing seven years ago, I didn't know it was a thing. <laughs> I think it just started to become a thing right around then. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, moving forward from that, you brought on a buyer's agent and uh, the business was rocking. Um, take me through that second good year there and how things grew from that point. And were you getting uh, a lot of responses from organic, just your content finding its way to people or were you promoting it somehow? At the, I mean, combination of both, and it's still a combination. I think now probably 70% of our traffic is organic, just kind of having good Google search results. Um, we do a lot of advertising and boosting on Facebook and Instagram for sure. Um, that's probably the rest of it. And then we get some referral traffic just from some other sites. I mean, we would bring on, I mean, our team is a little different in that 80% of our agents' business is brought in by the website and by us rather than their own business. So whereas a lot of teams, agents are expected to do a lot of prospecting, um, our preference is actually that our agents don't do that. We want them to have obviously amazing relationships with their past clients and the people in their life, but we actually want them focusing on the leads that we've got for them, um, which changes it because that means we, we have to watch our growth very carefully because I never want to hire a person before I know I've got the business to support an extra person because the last thing I'd want to do is take away business from my current agents. And some of our agents have been with us for five years, um, which is great because we're only six years old. <laughs> just babies. We're just a baby company. All right, great. So with that in mind, there are a lot of different team formats like across the States and Canada. There's the mega, mega teams where you've got tons and tons of agents and they're doing big numbers, but when you break it down per agent, it doesn't seem so spectacular. So what I'm hearing from you is that your focus is really on having each agent have a successful business, make sure they have that, right? Before you sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't imagine a time when, you know, an agent on our team would make less than six figures after all of the splits. I mean, that's sort of our, 
our baseline of what we're expecting somebody to take home. Um, the idea being that, you know, they're not spending any money on, on marketing and staging and all of those things or time or, or guilt or worry about all of those things. And they're just building relationships and servicing the clients. Um, and our, our minimum goal would be somebody would walk away with the six figures after all of the splits. Um, when we know people are comfortably there and we've obviously got agents that are doing a lot more than that. Um, which is also fun. Um, and, and they all work really, really hard, but bringing in somebody is like making sure that I know I've got enough business, an extra hundred thousand dollars of business for somebody new. And so that means our growth has probably been slower than a lot of those big teams, but I don't really want to be a big, big team. Like we've got an amazing group of agents that I love and a great culture and everybody supports each other and, and it's a friendly competition and they often coalesce together. Uh, and I love that. And I'm so we're really careful about when we bring in new agents that we're bringing in the right person at the right time and that it's seen as something the whole team wants and not, you know, an extra person. So I can say I have a bigger team. Right. Exactly. Those are kind of ego funded teams, I find. Uh, yeah, a lot know, of ego. Knowing you and your team, I know it's very culture oriented. So you guys are, are all about that. Now, yeah. it didn't just sort of magically appear that way. You kind of had to fumble your way to where you are now, right? Absolutely. And I remember we hired a coach about probably four years ago and we brought him in to do like a four day audit. So he came in and he spent four full days and looked at all of our marketing, looked at all of our systems, our lead generation, met with our team, met with our brokerage. It was kind of a full audit of what we are. And, and it was terrifying because he wanted things like financial spreadsheets. I was like, I don't have financial statements. <laughs> so we made our first financial statements and and he came in and he said, you know, you've got a really, a really interesting thing here. You've got a group of people working together. And we're like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, you're not really a team. You're kind of like a group of people that are all calling yourselves a team and you do stuff together, but you're not really operating as a team. And that was like a huge aha moment for us of starting to consciously think of things like culture and training and experience and becoming something that we're better together than we would be individually and not just some people who are helping me out because I have too many leads. Right. Which I think we could arguably say we were in some of those earlier years. And I think a lot of teams are like that. And in that change, and I remember like probably the week before that looking at Brennan and being like, I hate what we've built. <laughs> I did. I didn't like it. It wasn't giving me any satisfaction. It didn't feel like I was building something. We had some great people. And we did some great business, but it wasn't it wasn't personally satisfying. It didn't feel like I was building something bigger, and and bringing him in, I mean, it completely changed our worlds. Um, and there were a lot of tears. <laughs> and I think I cried like three times that week of the audit, um, but it allowed us to make a plan to build all of those things and make sure that and look at get comfortable with the numbers and get real with the numbers. I mean, our business is a lot of BS around the numbers, right? And we yes talk about the big numbers and we're like okay but that's before your splits and that's before all of that stuff so is that even really gci what does that number even really mean and so we got really real about what those numbers were like and, and where they were coming from and we got serious about looking at our profitability and um, when we looked at our spreadsheets at the time and we had that very common team leader mentality that like i'm not going to be able to recruit great agents because they're not going to want to give me you know, the splits that teams normally get. And we did the money and we're like, so we stripped ourselves out of the company. And he's like, oh, look at that. You're losing money on the team. And I think we had like five agents at the time. I'm like, what do you mean we're losing money on the team? He's like, so basically you guys are selling houses to pay for the team. 
So that was a huge moment. And then building that value proposition so that the different splits made sense. Um, where our agents were making more money and taking on more money than they would on their own. And we had a business where we were being profitable and able to invest in the things. And that was a huge turnaround time for us. And that was only four years ago. Yeah, and that, and that was really my question. So thank you for answering it before I asked it. was uh, the profitability model and that it definitely changed before uh, your coaching moment, we'll call it, and then afterwards, right? Huge, huge change. And I think, you know, people, I think the two common mistakes team leaders have is that they think it's all about them. So they brand it about them. They go on all of the listing presentations and they're the king. And then they've got these other people that are going to help them. And then they wonder why it doesn't work, right? Because, oh, imagine that. People came and went within six months. Shocker. Um, it's not about bringing agents on and giving them the crappy leads. That's a lot of agents do, right? They call themselves teams and they just have right. people crappy leads to. And you've got to be prepared to give that three or $4 million lead to your agents. Um, you've got to have them to a point where they're trained and you've recruited the right people so you know they can win that business as well as you. But if you're not prepared to do that, you don't really have a team. And that was a huge mind shift as well, where I was like, okay, it's not just about giving out the crappy leads I don't want to deal with. So given your business model being heavily weighted towards online leads and that type of conversion, I would assume that's a big part of the training that you provide to your team members. Is there an onboarding process? Yes, yeah, so about a 60 day onboarding process. It's fairly intense. We don't bring on new agents because of that, because learning real estate, you know, probably takes you 90 days and, and learning our systems are a good 60 days. So there's a lot of, of shadowing. There's a lot of practice. There's a lot of formal training on lead conversion and on all of our systems. I mean, to be able, like we do a lot of transactions um, and we want to give a very personal experience. So we have everything really, really systemized in the back end. Um, and there are, so every, you know, we're paperless and we're all using DocuSign and we're using uh, a CRM and we're using, and those are not optional on our team. So it's a big process to learn all of that. I mean, the book of Braille is what we call our kind of 80 page. <laughs> yeah. It's literally everything we do and how we do it. Um, and it's there and it gets updated all the time with kind of all of our processes and all of our systems. And we're a well-orchestrated machine, especially on the listing side. Um, I mean, we probably have almost 80 tasks that get spit out when we get a listing and some of our stages do and our marketers and our admin do and our agents and some of them I do and, and it all orchestrates very, very nicely so that it's seamless for the client, which is what our ultimate goal is. So you're staffing again right now. You have a stager on staff. You have yep. admin, you have your agents, and you're bringing on a marketing coordinator, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. So it didn't start that way. I mean, usually people you hire a stager to do a consult and then do all that stuff. What made you bring a stager in house? Well, it's funny. We remembered, I mean, it's a question obviously we get, we know the staging brings in more value. We knew in the East end of Toronto, there were two teams that were doing incredible things with staging. And I was like, well, why wouldn't you hire them? I mean, of course they're, they're doing all the staging for you. You're making your house look beautiful and you're selling it for 20, 30, $40,000 more. And there wasn't really anybody on the west side that was doing that at the time. Um, so it started out with, you know, recycling our own furniture, <laughs> going to winners. And, you know, that was certainly how it started. Um, and then it just kind of grew from there. And then we realized if we had the right messaging on staging, that we'd be able to win more listings. And we went from, I think, from like 29 listings to 60 listings 
um, in the first year where we had a proper stager or two stagers on side. Now we have a 3,000 square foot warehouse. I mean, it's not for the faint of heart. It's very expensive. It's a huge investment. Um, it's not fun when a, something takes a long time to sell. I mean, last year, I think our average property sold in 11 days. But the year before, when the market was different, um, I mean, we had 4,000 square foot vacant properties staged for 60, 90 days. And we were not financially ready to carry that kind of furniture inventory. So we've learned a lot of staging lessons along the way. I think there are things, you know, I think everybody starts with, you know, buying some pillows and buying some art and recycling. You look at those, I think like four years ago, you look at all those listing photos, you'll see the same artwork. It's my artwork in every listing. We <laughs> <laughs> graduated from that. Okay. All right. Great. Good to know. <laughs> All right. So moving forward, then you've built this business, this team, and then you've gone from team to brokerage. So let's take the team thing out of the equation for a second, because you were able to do these amazing things, but you had the benefit of working with a partner, which was great. Um, someone who was solo, let's just say that you've got a niece or a nephew that's somewhere in North America, and yeah. they just moved to that town. They don't really have a big sphere of people. What would you suggest that they do to get their business off the ground and move forward? I mean, I think it starts with not looking around you and listening to all the experts. Because I think a lot of new agents go wrong because they listen to X person on stage and then they run off and do it and spend a lot of money. And honestly, I think everyone needs to figure out who they are as an agent and how they want to build their business. And I think that's the biggest problem with with newbies. I mean, we did it. My 10,000 postcard run with my stickers. I didn't want to do postcards, but someone at my brokerage did it, and he was really successful. So I must be successful if I do postcards too. And I think it's so easy to fall into that. And I think that introspection and figuring out who am I, how do I want to do my business, and who do I want to work with um, can go a long way from there. And then it's a matter of going out and figuring out where those people are. I think a lot of people can be really successful if they've got you know a passion or a hobby especially in a new town and go out and start meeting the people who do that um i was just somebody i met in denver a few weeks ago is in the kayak community and that's where he's built his network of of his base of clients and i think there's a lot of different ways you can do it and whether that's geographic or demographic or by interest it's a matter of what you want to do and yeah in the early years you're going to have to do you know, stuff you don't want to do. Don't <laughs> 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 have as large a geography than you want to work in because we all have to pay the bills. But yeah. I think the the biggest mistake people make is just, you know, reading a book and thinking that's the only way of doing it. Yeah, that's, see, that's what's so overwhelming, I find, for a lot of people. When a lot of the newer agents come to me and they, they ask me in my brokerage or online, you know, well, what do I do? It's also overwhelming. It's because everything works in this business, even the stuff that you don't like, the door knocking, the cold calling, flyers, bus ads works for some people. Like it all works for somebody, but you yeah. have to find what works for you. And that unfortunately takes a little bit of time to figure out what matches for your personality, your comfort level, and uh, what you're willing to do on a consistent basis. For sure. I mean, depending on your market too. I mean, we did a lot of rentals our first year. And those renters became our buyers in, you know, year two or three. We still have a full-time rental agent on our team. And she does 100 rent. She helps 100 rentals, uh, 100 tenants a year. And it's a, a feeder into later business, obviously, and future buyers and referrals and all of that. But it's also just a really great way to, to make some income when, you know, the buyers and sellers aren't falling all over you. Right, early. exactly. <laughs> and I think, to be honest, 
if I could go back, I, I think people should join a team. To be Com honest. coming from a completely unbiased point of view, <laughs> somebody who doesn't hire new agents, right? So right, not right, a right. Message. Um, I wish I had known. I wish I had had that kind of mentorship because I don't think, at least in Ontario, that we are ready to sell real estate when we get our licenses. I don't think we're ready to start a business. I don't think they teach us anything about generating leads and building relationships and putting the the client at the center of everything we do, and and having somebody you trust to learn that from. I think can go a really long way. And maybe that's a broker, but most brokerages are too big and the brokers don't have time. And there's a handful of brokerages I think are good for new agents. Um, and a team can give you that exposure so that you're learning as you go. And when you do have that opportunity to sell your aunt's house, it's not the first listing that you've ever seen and you've screwed up or she doesn't hire you because she thinks you're going to screw it up. Right. Um, and, and again, maybe that's just a, you know, a mentor or a partner, but to me, that's what I think. I think every new agent should have to shadow somebody for a year. Yeah. I think it should definitely be a part of uh, some sort of mentorship or apprentice type of style. And uh, I was actually just having that conversation today. We were doing our awards banquet thing and right. I was speaking to a few new agents and, and they had brought up the fact that they think it would be a great idea. And, uh, so we're, that's something that we're implementing, but yes, a team. And I was just kidding before, but <laughs> I do think it's a good idea for somebody yeah. to get into the right type of team atmosphere. We had talked about different types of teams, um, the ego driven team and, uh, the, you got to find a team with the right type of culture. That's really going to foster that development. Right. Yeah. And I think, I mean, for some people, there are people who will thrive in a team for the next 20 years. And some people can just use the new ones as, as a, as a one-year training ground and to figure out how to do stuff and figure out who they are as an agent, right? Like that takes time and it, it doesn't hurt if you've got people to learn from who are helping you and giving you business. So you've got some income coming in while you're figuring it out. And it doesn't mean that you have to be a team person for life, right? Because it's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. Some people want to do the marketing and they want to do their own lead generation. They want to get into all that stuff. Um, so don't think the team model is for everybody. But for newbies, I couldn't imagine why you wouldn't want to do it, to be honest. So if someone is listening to this and they're thinking, I'm just getting started, I'm having a tough time, maybe a team is a good idea, uh, what is it that they should be doing, or more specifically, what should they be asking in interviews with team members? Um, what should they be looking for in a good team environment as opposed to a not-so-great team environment? I think part of it is I would go for a team that's been a team for a while as opposed to me four years ago. <laughs> you don't want to be the person who's just getting all the crappy jobs because you're not really going to learn a lot. I mean, maybe they're an incredible agent, you will, but for the most part, it helps if they have some team experience behind them. You want them to have regular team meetings. You want them to have formal training. That's where you're really going to get the learning. You want to be shadowing. You want that one-on-one -on -one mentorship. Um, they're not going to teach you things like how to lead, generate leads probably. Um, because that's probably what the team is doing for you. So you'll have to have some sort of learning on your own if you're planning on going on, on your own after. But I think you really want to make sure you've got all of that one-on-one -on -one time and training and you're not just doing the crap. The crap. Yeah, I hear you. Because that's what happens often. It is. Or they put you in a room with a phone and say, okay, well, you're a team member, so you get to call for eight hours a day. Um, like, that's not... That's not a great new experience for somebody. <laughs> That's part of the experience. Um, but, you know, and I've heard so many stories of people have just these terrible times with teams. But there are also some incredible teams that are established and have a culture and a, and a supportive environment where I think you can learn a lot. 
Now, a lot of people, just like going into brokerages, going into teams, the big question is, what's the split? And and it always comes down to that number one question. Let's talk from a different point of view and some experience and explain uh, what some different split types are and why they are the way they are. I mean, most splits for teams that have been in the business for a while is going to be 50-50. And there may be a split to the brokerage on top of that. Um, and that's kind of a hard pill for people to originally swallow. Um, and if you're not getting that value, then walk away. But the teams that, if the teams are offering like 10 or 15% splits, they're not going to be a team for very long because it's it's impossible to be able to provide the value that a team can provide on those kinds of splits. That split uh, going to the team rather than to the individual, you mean? Exactly. Like if, if they're, no, no, if they're, yeah, exactly. If the team's only taking 10, 15, 20 points, they're not going to be profitable. Um, so I would question how long that's going to work. Now, maybe they'll never have a coach come in and be like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> You're losing money. But eventually they might figure that out. So I think the normal expectation is generally 50-50. Um, but you need to make sure you're getting a lot of stuff for that. So, you know, you should be getting leads and you should be getting marketing and the teams are generally paying for almost everything. I mean, we pay for everything except for, you know, membership fees and car and cell phone. We pay for everything else. Um, so if you do the math, you need to be able to be coming out further ahead as a team member than you would on your own. But that expense piece is really important because, I mean, what are agents spending, right? 40, 50% of their income trying to generate leads? Easily. Yeah. And then maybe not even having anything to bounce it around. So that first year, too, can be nice to just have some income coming in, um, even if it's not as much income as you think you're worth. Um, it's it's tough. But in the right environment, in the right, I mean, that can set you up for life and you'll be making, you know, tons of money in no time. Um, or you'll be with that team making tons of money and doing what you want to do. I mean, it can work either way. Yeah, it's the pie concept, right? I mean, you can get 100% of nothing or 50% of a really big pie. Exactly. And people forget that, right? Yeah. And, they, you know, and people come to us all the time or will call us like, what's your split? And I was like, that's your first question? Like, dead to me because... It's not about the split. It needs to be about how you want to grow as an individual and how much money you'll be able to make as opposed to what's the split. And if the thinking is there, that's never would be somebody I would hire. I want somebody who wants to learn and grow and build an incredible career because I know I can get them to do that. Um, but if it's about the split, forget it. Yeah, I hear There's it. so much more. And it's the same thing with people making brokerage changes, right? Right. I mean, we've gone down in split in brokerages before. Where we're, you know, we're, we're sorry, again, we're, we're paying more. Um, that happened in our last brokerage switch, and it was 100% worth it because what we were getting in exchange and how that allowed us to grow our business, I mean, it's worth a whole lot more than the split change we went to. Right. It's thinking big picture rather than uh, <coughs> short term. All right, great. Now, uh, going back to the content topic again, um, just to dole out some advice for those that are thinking of getting into it again whether you do it through blogging podcasting video um, do you have a preference not for yourself but for what you've been hearing in the industry in terms of responsiveness uh, for the format it's all over the place I mean last year I go to big SEO conferences with you know all the SEO geeks and me that's why I'm uh, asking you such geeky questions I know I love it, <laughs> I love it. I'm excited I get to share it uh, last year they were talking a lot about video fatigue 
and not kind of videos that were more than eight seconds long on Facebook weren't working anymore, um, which was kind of a huge moment because everyone was looking at 30 seconds and 60 seconds the year before. And now we're like, whoa, now we're down to eight. And so things like if you are doing videos, like you can't have your call to action at the end because most people aren't going to get there. So you want to have to have your call to action midway. And the same thing with blogs. If you actually see how I blog today, I don't just have my, if you're looking to buy or sell at the end of my blog, there will be a call to action somewhere in the middle of my blog because I'll recognize that people aren't going to get through the whole thing. Um, if you're writing blogs, then it's not about, it, it, Google right now is loving long content. So kind of 1,000 to 1,500 words is the key right now to get recognized by Google. Um, but it can't just be in big paragraphs. So it's got to have lots of titles and lots of bullet points and make it really skimmable. So there's a lot of changes as to how we've developed content just because of how people are consuming it. I mean, think of emails, right? Like I think they say now an email should never be more than, is it 220 words long? Because is that what they're saying? Wow. Because we're all reading them on our phone. Yeah. They say it doesn't matter where you write that email, you need to expect for it to be read on a phone. So it better have bullet points and it better be easy to read and you better be really quick at the top of what you want from somebody. So like I think communication and content has changed so much and is changing so much that trying to be, you know, on top of it is really important if you want people to continue to actually consume it. Okay, good points. Now, in terms of delivering the content, is there a particular platform that you find is better than others, whether it be throwing it out on Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, Google ads, whatever? I think it really depends who your target audience is. You know, for a long time, like seven, eight years ago, and people were like, well, I'm not going to advertise on Facebook because that's just millennials. And I'm not selling to millennials. And I'm like, those same people are now being told by people like me, where I was like, you know who's on Facebook now? People over 40. Who do you want to sell and buy to? Right? You want people over 40. I mean, 41 is the magical age where most people make their biggest real estate purchase. That's, I don't know if you know that. It's one of my favorite stats. 41, always target the 41-year-olds. Um, and they're still on Facebook. Um, they're also on Instagram. So I think part of it is, you know, who your audience is and not making those assumptions that maybe were true five years ago. Um, and even just not making assumptions at all. We actually have a pretty big part of our business that is estate sales and kids moving their parents to uh, an assisted living situation. So a lot of our clients are over 80 years old um, or have just passed away and you're not expecting it. We never would have thought that that's who our message is resonating with. Right. But of course it's the kids and the grandkids hiring us. So, you know, once you have an idea of who you want to, to go after and then where they're hanging out is where you should spend your time. I mean, we went through a few years ago, we developed kind of personas of who our ideal clients were. Um, and we now have six personas about who they are and, and what they do and where they're spending their times and what are the things that they're afraid of and what are the things that they like. What are the things they're looking for in an agent? What are the things they're not going to trust in an agent? And we really develop our content around those six personas. And they have names, like we've got Betty. <laughs> They've all got names. They're full, fully well-developed personas. But that helps us figure out where we should be putting that kind of content. So how do you develop someone who's listening? How do I develop these, these avatars? What is it that I'm looking for? How do I find this research? Well, and you can just, I mean, you can go online and Google. There's a, there's a lot of really great tools and spreadsheets out there that kind of give you the, the format that you want to do it in. But usually we're going to start with, I mean, your most obvious client is usually going to be people like you. 
right? Like that's usually where we all start, whether that's our friends or whatever, that's an easy target for us to go after. Mm -hmm. So the first, your first God person should be looking like you. So where do you spend your time? What do you like to do? What are you afraid of? What are your friends afraid of? And then go from there with who are you, who you've already working a lot with. So, you know, and then we have an aspirational, always have an aspirational person is like, okay, who would I ideally like to be working with? Um, and it's not always the, you know, $10 million luxury buyer or seller that, you know, every real estate agent wants to help. Um, but about who is it you'd really like to get into? And we know, where are they working? What are they doing? Probably 60% of our clients work in marketing or advertising or for technology companies. So, you know, there's a ton of research about them and we're specifically talking to them when we're writing blogs. And yeah, like you said, you're gearing that content towards the audience that you're trying to attract. And we're gearing all of our services around that too. So we've taken each one of those personas I'm going to sound super nerdy. I've never said any of this, by the way, <laughs> before. This is what goes on at the Brow House. Um, we actually developed the full journey of, okay, so first-time buyer, what are the different steps that they're going to go through? Um, our estate seller, what are the critical parts of their journey? What communication do we have? And what services do we need to provide? And that changed a lot of what we do on the service front and what we focus on and what our key messages are when we go in to sell um, or pitch a, pitch a listing when we have an idea of, okay, this person is, you know, falls into X persona, and these are the things that are likely going to be a concern for them. Interesting. And are you, yeah. are you offering these things as like an a la carte sort of service along in conjunction with like, for this percent, we'll give you all this stuff and that type of thing? Or is it just we come full package, full value, this is what we do? Number two, full package, full value, this is what we do. Okay, because I've heard both ideas thrown around. Yeah. And that's not for everybody. Um, we have different parts of our service offering that'll appeal to different people. So usually no one, I mean, we're always doing the staging, we're always doing that, but we also offer a lot of concierge services and help um, and handyman and coordination of painters and all of that kind of stuff, which is not something we're doing in every listing, but sometimes people really need that. And sometimes they need a whole lot more handholding and support or they're out of town and we're selling mom's house. And mom needs a whole lot of help. And that becomes the bigger focus of what we're doing. So we'll cater our messaging right from the listing presentation of what we think they need. Um, and obviously we're doing a lot of listening. So they're telling us what they need. Uh, and then we're just focusing a lot more of our services in those areas. So the value that you really want to try to provide, and I mean, I know this because I know you guys, but also the message that you conveyed is you're very client centric and you want to make sure that the client experience is above all else. Right? Absolutely. And I mean, that's always been, I think that's one of the biggest challenges in our industry where we make everything about us. Um, and we've always been about the client. I read a book, I don't know if I told you about it, um, called How to Be a Great Real Estate Agent. It's Recently, only been out, right? Yeah, it's only been out for a few weeks. Um, I think it should be mandatory reading, like as you get your real estate license, because it takes everything that we do as agents in, in traditional and non-traditional ways and, and just tweaks it a little bit by putting the client in the center. So it, it flips what we do in a listing presentation. It flips what we do in a buyer presentation and what we're taught to do. Um, and it's just it's just a beautiful book. And I think, I honestly, I think everybody should buy that book. And I don't know the author. Well, now I do because I, I reached out to him in my nerdy way. I was like, you don't know me. But if you start to see a lot of Canadian purchases, you'll know why. Because I think everyone should get this book. Um, and a lot of it was stuff we were already doing but a lot of it was things I hadn't thought of or I hadn't thought of in that way. 
And I think anybody can benefit from that. And it's not the, you know, technology book or get on social media book or any of that. It's just about, about putting the client first in every decision. Yeah, the perspective, and, just shifting that, that focus. Yeah. With that in mind, um, a big part of your business, in, of any business that generates online leads is conversion. And a big message that you guys have been been throwing out there for a while is communicate the way that they communicate, that they want to communicate, not the way that you want to communicate. Can you touch on that a little bit and, and how that's developed in your business yeah. as time's gone on? I mean, it's been, it's been a few years. Like if somebody fills out a form on our website, it will say, how do you want us to contact you? Phone, text, or email. Um, and it's hard because as, as agents, we know if we get somebody on the phone, we're going to have a much better chance of converting them and getting to go see them as an appointment. Um, and yet we also know that what do we do when we fill out a form online? We give a 555 number, right? I, I don't really want you calling me. Um, so we recognize that one of the big objections to people reaching out online is that you're reaching out online because you don't want to talk to the person. So we let people decide how they communicate. And that's not just during the kind of the lead time, but also during the whole transaction. So we have clients we've never emailed that we only communicate with on text. Um, and I and I can't remember who the speaker was, and I remember hearing them say, you know, the the person who pays gets to decide how to communicate. And I, <laughs> there it is, there it is, right there. Um, and it's been a big part of building trust and kind of that early trust, because when you're building a business online, it's always about trust. And if you violate that, you know, you'll never get that person back. Now, in terms of lengths of time, I've heard many different things. What would you say, speaking to your own personal experience, is an actual fact when a lead comes in, what is the incubation period? Is it a right-of-way business? How much of it is right-of-way business? How much of it is down the road? Well, and I think it depends on what you consider you know, an internet lead. Um, <laughs> like the person who, I mean, you always talk about internet leads. And honestly, I mean, we look at people on our website as people and not as leads. Um, and and they usually have a relationship with us online and through social media that we don't even know about. Right. So many people have had a relationship with the Braille team for a year or two years before they actually reach out. In which case, they are usually transacting with us within probably 90 days um, and often meeting you know, within a week or two. Um, the people who are on our IDX and they're looking at a random property that's not our listing, those are what I think of as, and I think what most people think of as internet leads. And that can take a really, really long time to convert. We don't really spend a ton of time on those leads, um, only because we have enough people and I'm not very patient um, to do that. <laughs> I think it's like 12 or 18 months. I was like, oh my God, my whole life could change 12 times in 12 months. Um, so we tend to focus on kind of the people who are ready to transact and already have some trust built up with us. And I think that's the advantage of a podcast or video series or a blog is that they've got that relationship with you already. So you're not going through as big of a song and dance as you will with a completely random person. Right. They're getting to know you. They feel like they already know you by the time they're reaching out to you. Exactly. And it's not just, I mean, when somebody reaches out to, you know, for more information on a property, they probably reach out to 10 other realtors that day. So they're not looking necessarily for a realtor, they're looking for a door to be opened, right? So trying to make that distinction between what somebody's looking for and how easy that'll be to convert them. Um, and certainly we've, we've helped lots of people who've, you know, <laughs> come in wanting to look at a property. <laughs> right. The bulk of our, you know, our, our real successes come from the content and that relationship. And because you've built that relationship, do you find that you're really competing for listings and buyers still, or is it a little bit different or tell me a little bit about so, that? 
we still compete for listings. Usually they're going to bring in, you know, somebody their friend recommended. Um, they're going to bring us because they found us online. And then sometimes it's the third person. I don't really know how they find them. Probably a postcard <laughs> or something. To your point, everything works, right? right? And then it's about getting in the door. Sometimes for sure we're the only people that are brought in um, because it's like, hey, I've been following you for years and of course I'm ready to list and you're going to be who it is because I read your blog every week. Um, but we still we still pitch for a lot of business. Okay. And do you find that because you have, are there, let me ask this question because I'm curious. Do you get business and people are like, I don't know, uh, you have a blog? What, what's that? Like they don't know you from that because they're referred from a friend or something? Probably, but nobody that I can think of. <laughs> a huge part of I mean, we, we've never, I mean, we, we have a nice referrals. We've never had a past client, not buy or sell with us. Um, but we're still pretty new in the business in terms of having that peak of transactions. So it's not a huge percentage of our business. Just so it's usually new clients to us. Um, and then maintain that relationship so that they'll repeat down the road. Um, so most people know about the website. And if they don't, um, they're going to find out about it very quick because a lot of the content on the blog is written for our clients. Mm -hmm. um, so they will be taken through a series of, you know, templated emails um, that will <laughs> educate them through the process. So if we forget to say something when we're in the car or trying to parallel park, um, they'll have that waiting in their inbox. So that's a big part of it, too. So the website has a big role with our current clients as well. Okay, great. Well, we've covered a lot of ground, and I tried to condense it into the uh, 45 minutes to an hour that we have. Um, of course, there's a lot more, but maybe I'll bring on another time. As for this round, uh, any parting words of wisdom for those that are just getting in the business or maybe that have been in the business and have been kind of having a tough time with it, um, what can they do to break out of that? I think they need to, to just be themselves. And I think, you know, stop listening to your broker's advice from what worked for them 20 years ago. Um, how do you like to find somebody to help you in the service business, right? Think of what do you do? Do you read reviews? Do you go online? Do you go to social media? Do you ask your friends and start there and just be yourself? And I think we, you know, often fall into that trap of trying to be what we want others to be or what worked for somebody else. And honestly, I think that's the biggest thing that that was the turning point for us when we found our voice and we accepted, we're not the realtors for everybody. Um, but I'd like to think the ones that we are, we're pretty good and we can go pretty deep with them. And yeah. Think, and you, you probably have a better experience with them, right? Yeah. And you like your life, right? Cause then you're not working with horrible people, not <laughs> people out there or people that don't necessarily match with your personality. We'll put it that way. <laughs> way of saying that. Yes, Do you like yes. words? Don't work with horrible people. <laughs> And we've all had those people, I'm sure. If we've been in yeah. the business for more than five minutes, we've all come across them. <laughs> and in the early years, there'll be more of them in your life than in the later years. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, what about uh, in terms of courses, programs, or books for people to check out? Other than the one that you mentioned, but you can mention that again so people can write it down. Yeah, good question. Um, so yeah, How to Be a Great Real Estate Agent by Joe Rand, I adore. I love Content Machine by Dan Norris. Um I mean, honestly, that book came out after I had my blog strategy, but it is basically my blog strategy. Um, I love that book. I love Con Conversion Code by Chris Smith, um, who was a big part of kind of my early online stuff. I've known Chris for years. Um, those are probably the three books. If you want to get in on the online stuff or the content piece or just put your client in the center, those books will get you there. In terms of conferences, I mean, for me, the Inman conferences were always the big the big 
moments of, oh my God. And I've met some just incredible people there that are in my life. Um, now I tend to go to a lot smaller conferences. So I'll go to like the genuine hustle conferences are actually organized by a group of friends of mine that are real agents on stage talking about what we really do. Mm-hmm. Um, people who actually have had the success rather than kind of the experts who've never sold a house. So some of the experts <laughs> are great. Um, I really like those conferences. I'll go to some very specific conferences outside of the industry now. Um, but I think in the early years, I mean, there's a lot of great conferences out there, but you might have to go outside of your own market. And another thing that I'd like to interject in that is it's 50% about the conference and 50% about the people that you're actually going to be meeting and making connections with because you're building up referral opportunities, but really trading ideas. And, and that's the real value I find. Absolutely. And and when you get those relationships, I mean, I've got some friends in the U.S. that, you know, we've probably been in 10 or 12 different cities together and we've taken writing trips together and they've become really important parts of my business, even though, you know, I may have met them at a conference where none of us took a lot of notes. Um, <laughs> we had that lobby con and, you know, we went to the parties at night and we kind of did that thing and they've become just huge parts of, of who I am. So that's the big benefit to it. Um, I love rebar camps, too. I know there's one in Nashville that's coming up, um, and I love Nashville. Really? Oh, right. I forgot. We were just talking about Nashville. Um, there is one coming up uh, in end of March, I think, beginning of April. Oh, Maybe man. we'll take that offline. Um, but I just like the informality of, of a rebar camp, which is kind of like an unconference where people are just getting up and talking and sharing. Um, and I find I can learn a lot more about that than the newest trick. And it's easier to not get sidelined by the bright and shiny thing when it's real people doing it rather than talking about bots and talking about, you know, all of that stuff where you're just like, oh, really? Yeah, the dog squirrel syndrome where all these shiny objects are popping up everywhere. I think you really need, especially if you're in the beginning or, or struggling, you need to focus on two or three things. That's it. Cap it. Put everything else on the side. You can come to it next year. Totally. Okay. I'm glad we agree. Good. <laughs> All right, Mel, thank you so much. I'm going to wrap this up because we've pretty much reached our time limit. Thanks for taking the time and sharing everything as always. Awesome. Thanks for having me. You can check out my website at getwhatyouwant.ca. Little yes. plug website. And if you're looking for referrals for the Central and West Toronto area, go to that website or email. Or email or Facebook is usually the best way to reach me. Okay, perfect. But you'll find a lot of inspiration on the website too. I find a lot of realtors go on there and they can the ones who are afraid of blogging get on there and they can see how it can be done and then suddenly it's a thing so definitely uh, encourage people to i'm going to tag something on to the end of that just to say there are a lot of people that you know get really inspired and uh there's a misdirected inspiration thing where they kind of take and cut and paste and that's been done in the past and that's really stupid because you get found out but yes absolutely read a bunch of different blogs get inspired and write your own thing Yes, that's an excellent piece of advice. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) All right, have a great day. Talk to you later. Thanks. Hey, everybody out there in podcast land, I just wanted to say thank you so much. I truly appreciate you for your support and for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, like, comment, share this all over social media, and especially share it with a realtor that you know that might be having a difficult time finding their own path to success. I'll see you on the next episode.